You're listening to Majestic Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Sanderson, and each episode will be a co-creation with a special guest. Thanks for listening, and we're ready to get started now. Welcome, everyone. Today, we're here with Tigrilla Gardenia, and <laughs> she works as a nature-inspired leadership mentor and studies plant intelligence and the effects of plant music on human health. Her roots are firmly planted in the arts, communication, and the avant-garde. Tigrilla uses her expertise to empower mission-driven leaders to achieve personal and professional success by integrating nature-inspired innovation in order to bring meaning to life and make an impact with work. I really like that. She is an influential speaker and mentor running courses and workshops on reconnection with the plant kingdom and champions connection to nature as the basis for long-term health, happiness, and success. Wow. Welcome. <laughs> I'm so that happy you're here. Pardon? Now you make me blush. Oh. Well, thank I'm, you for having me. I'm so glad that you can be here to share some of this expertise with us today. Um, Let's start. Let's start by first exploring the question mm -hmm. of what reconnection with the plant kingdom means to you. And that even Ooh. that term plant kingdom, I, I like yeah. it. I'd like to hear more about that. So, you know, to, uh, I'll start and I'll preface by saying that uh, I live in, in Dominher, right? Dominher, for those that don't know, is one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. And it's kind of, I, I keep calling it Hogwarts for adults kind of what it is. <laughs> I mean, although we do have a lot of kids here. But um, the thing about living here is that it, it opened up to a whole new series of definitions and understandings around the plant world. And putting together sort of my spiritual work as well as my scientific work, reconnection, and the reason I, I purposely choose the word reconnection is the fact that we were connected. From a spiritual perspective, there's this idea of these what's called the mother worlds. And the, there's the plant world, and there's the human world and the animals are with the humans because we are animals in that aspect. And these two worlds at one point were, were one. They were united on every level from the most physical of nature to also the most spiritual of nature. And at some point through a whole series of different um, uh, events, these were separated out. Now, from a scientific perspective, when you go back through the literature, you also see it. You see it as those periods where little by little humanity started to dominate nature and see nature as something that was a landscape or something outside of yourself mm. not the same as seeing it as an integral part of who you are and so that reconnection is about bringing us back into what is called our, our biophilic connection which is the idea that we have an innate love of life and an innate love of nature because we are nature and so the plant kingdom specifically because plant blindness is one of the things that we experience the most and the most damaging to us, both from the perspective of the, and the overall kind of environment ecological movement in the sense that we don't recognize plants for the amount that they do and they give to us. This kingdom is sitting there working every day for us and we tend to think, well, that tree's in my way because I really want to build my patio there or I want to put my garden there. And I just take it out of the way without thinking that that tree has an entire relationship that not only does the tree have 
um, you know, key zone existence, but also that that relationship nourishes me in lots of different ways. So reconnection with the plant kingdom is about going and starting to re-recognize the nature within us and that a landscape is not something separate from me. I am the landscape. I am a big part of the landscape. And that these beings that have very different forms to the way we do, right? Because um, the animal kingdom, which again, we are part of, we think of it's very similar in some aspects because a lot of them have eyes and a lot of them have you know some kind of hands or or paws or things of this nature so we we're kind of less separated from them but when the plant kingdom having completely different anatomy and not only that very different way of, of processing information dealing with life is the separation and so we need to reconnect we need to bring this back because we're we're missing a part of ourselves we're missing um, we have this empty void and this um, contributes to a, a low-level fear that we live with all the time this this aspect of ourselves that's missing that causes us to create harm to the thing we're missing the most ah uh, that just like hit me in the heart <laughs> yes that thing we're missing the most and we're blind to it i've never heard the term plant blindness mm -hmm. before or being plant blind but I, that description i see that all the time especially in where i grew up where the land is developed and that's the priority period right. land is here right. to be developed right and it's very hard to witness mm -hmm. um and now i can see the blindness so thank you right. for that. You're welcome. And, and it's funny, I, I even, I put myself always on the spot when I, when I teach or when I work with my clients, I'm like, I don't, I'm not fully, you know, even myself, I still have blinders on certain things because it's so ingrained in our culture to not recognize certain things, you know, sitting in front of me is a desk made out of wood, um, you know, on my clothing is made out of cotton or other plant materials, viscose or, you know, and so we forget this contribution again of all these different pieces and we forget also that that we're not always here to dominate those those contributions like we, we can actually partake of that in a very different way that it's a more of a two-way conversation and a two-way nourishment rather than kind of the, the one way that's that's not really working because we're, we're looking out into the world and, and it's not really working um, it's not making us happier. It's not making us healthier. It's not making us um, more in harmony and feel better about ourselves. And so um, it's really, and I, I, I only emphasize, emphasize this because it's so easy for us to think about the kind of like us against them, humans. I mean, like some of us that really kind of look at plants in some ways and think, oh, I've, I've done my work. And it's like, it's, it's kind of more than that. And that's the beauty of it. That that expansion of perception and a relationship. It's a reawakening that, that all of us are going through. And I myself am even still going through that reconnection. I, I see it when I step on certain plants without thinking twice and then I turn around and I'm like, oh man, you know? And, um, and every time I do that and I recognize, you know, plants in a different environment than I have ever recognized before, I find that my relationship to that environment changes. So the way I relate again to my table or to tables in general or chairs or things made out of wood is different. I, I, um, I take better care of, of them or I, 
I relate to them better or I ask more questions about them and, and try to connect to where they came from and how they were. And I might ask the like salesperson, like, do you know anything about where this wood actually comes from? And that triggers something in the other person to go, I never thought about that. And, you know, as a business owner for them to start to think about it. So it's kind of this triggering effect that changes our consumption habits, that changes the way that I interact with the world. Or at least I hope so. It, it sounds like it. it. It sounds like a reframing of sorts to me. And yeah. I've thought of that for myself too. I'm like, I have all this awareness and yet I still fly all over the world. I still exactly. do these things that I know very much so are damaging. And even with all of this awareness, intelligence, whatever you want to call it, I'm not changing as much as I could. Right. Like that example. Yeah, and in part, it's because uh, uh, only like the, the last sentence, the last piece you just said, as we could. The problem is we don't actually know. Hmm. Like that's the thing. We we know to a certain extent some things, right? Okay, so I it would it would be so much better for the planet if we didn't really have acrylic clothing in many cases. But there are certain discussion points that are complex. They're really complex problems. And so I, I try, especially I tell a lot of my, my students in particular with my courses, this isn't about blame. This isn't about saying you're not doing enough because I don't believe that. If not, you wouldn't be in this course, to be honest, right? Believe that all of us in our minds are doing the best we can. But going to the flying example, sometimes you don't even know what the right option is. Like, is the right option for me to take four days to take a train or to take a flight and if I have to go from here to here to here, then, you know, how do I even do this? So my hope is that with this work, as we start to reconnect, we start going back to sources of certain things. Like it's not necessarily, yes, the consumer has to, to push and we have to all push for this thing, but then we have to push the airline companies to change certain things. And then the, who's making the airplane? to look at more biomimetic approaches, to look at more approaches that use fuels that are in harmony with the abundance of the planet, to understand even how much flying is okay for the planet, and then uh, um, connect ourselves into that kind of network. We, we need to start operating like these, these ecosystems that are all sort of chatting with one another so that we can actually make better choices. But I actually believe that a big part of it is that the, the system is so, Com complicated, not complex, because for us, complex is good, but complicated, and there's so little information that we, the little person, is feeling guilty about certain choices that we can't even make well. But so it's not about making the right choice sometimes, it's about asking the right questions and continuously asking those right questions and, and inspiring others, like for people like me, inspiring others to know that there are other ways. And so do you look at biomimicry? Do you look at bio-inspired designs of other sorts? Do you look at this? Do you look at that? Do you even just go outside and ask a plant, what should I do? Should I take that flight and see what happens, right? Because the plant might have some kind of information that you might not have thought of because they know how to traverse the planet way more efficiently than we do. So they might say to you, you know, so he might say, yeah, you know, I would be great if you did it this way. And in that example, I see then the integration of communicating with the plant kingdom mm -hmm. and knowing that there's intelligence there mm -hmm. that we can share. Exactly. Nice. 
Yeah. And that's the other piece of this, bringing them into the conversation, bringing those plants into the conversation. Do you have a way that you can share with people who might, this might be like blowing their mind or like, I've never heard of these things or how do I even start now this complicated system? Oh my goodness. I am just, I'm using air quotes, just this one person. Maybe it's too complex, not complex, complicated to even start. And then I become paralyzed and don't try anything. So do you have a way in that you find is most interesting or useful for people? Yeah, one plant at a time. That's kind of how I think about it. I really do. I'm very practical in a lot of ways. I mean, and so I love the individual connection because I find that kind of kind of the same way as if I, I'm trying to meet a new friend, right? I come to a new city. What do I go do? I, I don't try to meet 700 people at the same time, right? I, I go maybe someplace and, and sitting in the supermarket and I'm in the checkout line and I might have a conversation with the checkout clerk, you know, and, and see what comes of that. And they, they might be interesting, they might not be, and they might recommend something else. So for me, it's, uh, I highly recommend usually starting one plant at a time or one species at a time, depending if you have a, a plant that you love in your house or a plant that you really love in your territory and the, the land that you live on or a favorite tree in the park discovering new ways to connect to open that conversation so and especially using your senses like that's a big piece of how I recommend almost everybody to start we have five senses we tend to really only use one we tend to use just our vision we we look at plants and we think we're actually really observing them or really seeing them and most of the time we're just looking at them so taking that time to First of all, you can, of course, look, but more of observe. What are you observing? What, what are you seeing? What are the colors? What are the shapes? What are the movements and the lines? You know, how does that leaf curl? Why did that leaf curl that way? And asking yourself these questions. You might not always have the answers directly, but some of those answers are going to come because that's opening that channel of communication. Touching the plants and, you know, touching the soil and what does soil really feel like and what do the roots feel like and... And what happens when I touch with the back of my hand or my cheek or my arm? Like, is it different? So now you have sensations that are, that are another, because plants don't necessarily operate with the same logic we do, and therefore they don't have the same human um, language that we do. So what we're trying to do is allow the sensations, the, the perceptions, the thoughts, whatever comes to your mind is part of that communication, because right now you're being in that bubble, that mindful bubble inside of it. So anything that comes, which could be, I don't know, a picture of your, your grandmother um, right before she was going to bed or, you know, something that, or that smell of, you know, your, your best friend's cologne, that's all part of the message because they're passing to you what could be your way of understanding a language that, that they have that's not the same as our own. So this changes the way it is. So using those senses, you know, tasting pieces, licking pieces, um, you know, and, and smelling the different aspects will trigger new aspects of you and will give them the opportunity to use those chemicals and electrical signals and all those other senses that they have, which is about 50 more than the human has, to really pass some knowledge. And there you are. Now you've all of a sudden opened a channel of communication with a being that you've probably never spoken with. 
wow so it's this like cross species it's like a new dimension even mm -hmm. it sounds like the way you're describing it but it's right here for us all the time right yeah it's this interspecies communication that again with animals sometimes it's easier i can look into their eyes and and i get an idea of what they're thinking but plants don't have eyes so i don't know what i'm I don't know. So I think I think they're not thinking because again, that's that plant blindness. I'm even staring at a plant. I'm looking down at the plant, and I'm maybe touching the plant. I know the plant is breathing, but I don't think they're thinking, or I don't think they're seeing, which is not true. They actually can't see because they have even more photoreceptors than we do. All of their leaves are photoreceptors, so they receive light, and they're it's a deal. Their just vision is different, and the way that they smell is different. They use these chemical signatures that are way different than the way we use them. And sometimes more refined. So exactly that. It's this interspecies um, communication that starts to happen. And when you allow yourself to kind of just suspend the disbelief for a second and say, okay, I'm just going to pretend that anything that happens within the next 20 minutes with this plant is true, just for a second. Like play. And let's see what happens. And go and journal. This is why I always tell all my students, all my clients, no. A journal is important, a nature journal or a plant journal specific, super important because these things are going to come up and you're not going to understand them at first, but they might become clear over time. Plants don't have the same relationship with time that we have. So these are all those ways that it's just super simple and super little. And again, permission to give myself permission for the next 20 minutes to believe that whatever comes into my head is true mm. and see what happens. That's a really important key, I think. Mm. I, that I like to call it like this rational skeptic that many of us have been trained to take on board and mm -hmm. maybe it's for protection or for some reason. Uh, so I like that idea of saying, wait a minute, skeptic, you go over there. Right. <laughs> Let me just participate with this for a minute and see what else might occur. And maybe I can learn to trust it even. Right. And you can verify it later. And that's the thing I love. Like if you, in my, in my course, Reconnect with the Plant Kingdom, what I love is I, I mix in the science, the art, and the spirituality. The spirituality, because a lot of us have a foundation that's connected to that. And there's a lot of, um, there is a lot of spiritual connections to plants, to trees, especially all across so many different, um, different types of spirituality, but also the science to confirm and the arts, all the artistic parts to open that imagination, to open me to receiving things in different ways. So by using these three, like you said, we, we quiet the skeptic for a while, even though I've given you a scientific base so that you can believe the rationalness of coming, because we do know that they do these things. So if I smell something that smells really weird to me, we know plants use smell as a communication mechanism. We know that they can manipulate our, you know, ways of behavior even. There's, they can manipulate the way herbivores kind of move around the plant using these chemical signatures. So, of course, we can then say, okay, wait a minute. If I got something and it's from a smell or my immune system was boosted by this or this part, then there is a scientific basis for this to going forward. And so... We find that right balance for what it is that you need in order to trust yourself. Part of what, what all this is building is trust in your true nature because what's happening is this come this you're having those 20 minutes and, and at first it's the plant that's you know kind of sending these messages, but the plant is communicating to your, for lack of a better term, plantness. 
right? Mm. That natural part of you that can speak plants. The same as I could learn Chinese or I can learn Japanese because I'm a human being and these are other human beings and we have similar receptors. We're also nature. So if that plant communicates with me for a long time, I'm going to learn like this plant language in some ways. I might not be as adept to it, just the same as my jaw doesn't move so that I pronounce Chinese words with perfect clarity because I wasn't raised that way. But that doesn't mean that over time I can't get really good even with an accent. So it's the same with the plant. They're, they're sending their language and I can then communicate over time. And even though it won't be perfect, and even though I won't be able to like control my scent receptors, you know, or like my, you know, scent glands to, to send out those, those same levels doesn't mean I can't do anything. You know, I can still find other ways to connect and that's going to change our logic. And that of course is going to translate to your business or to your, to your day-to-day life, to the relationships that you create. You're going to be able to do all of this with kind of a broader view that says, Oh, wait a minute. If I'm nature and nature creates all these different types of relationships that I must be able to do that too. So if I approach it from there, what would I create differently? So along that vein, how then do you see, how do plants teach us to build community? Mm. Ooh, so many ways. <laughs> if you think about it, right, plants are a community. I mean, we are a community. Let's also, um, one of the kind of realizations that, that I, I, I love when people finally, when it clicks, is the fact that I'm, I am also a community, right? In my own self, I'm an ecosystem. I have microbes and, you know, all kinds of different bacteria that's running around my body. I have organs that have, that seem like individuals, even though they're part of a whole, like all these different aspects of myself. And a plant is exactly the same way, right? Soil microbes or water depending and the, um, all these elements, the roots, the leaves, all these things working together in order to create them. So, one part is just the, the really kind of almost practical, um, observable type of ways that they create, they create these communities, right? We see that plants work with the, the uh, mycorrhizae, so working with the fungal networks in order for them to pass nutrients off. And we have started to learn why, like what are these relationships? Like what is it that's being sent out in, in relation from the tree, which is sugars, and what's coming back in, which might come from some of these organisms that can break down rock to get minerals so that you get back potassium or you get magnesium and get all these different types of aspects. So you can start to see how they build these relationships and how these most importantly from my perspective is how these relationships change over time because we as humans tend to think okay I do this and then I've done it and there it is and it's like mm, kind of doesn't work that way because time is always evolving it's always changing and things around us are always changing so we're actually really what we want to do is constantly be able to adapt just the same as the way plants do so the, the, the key to a really good ecosystem is its ability to receive feedback and from that feedback and what's called feedback loops to adapt, modify based on that feedback. Now, sometimes the feedback might say you're doing okay. And other times the feedback might say, oh, look, we had something introduced into the system that was unexpected. What do you want to do with it? And when we see plants and look at plants doing this, we can start to think about that from our own lives. Like, okay, I'm going to receive feedback. I'm going to build that into my system to begin with. And then how do I adapt to that feedback? So different types of relationships feedback loops, um, what is 
really the, the goal or the growth of that. How do I adapt to my constantly changing conditions? And more importantly, how do I see a change always with its opportunity? How do I look at it as an opportunity? Even if in that opportunity, I have to quote unquote die or step away, that's still an opportunity for me to grow in another direction instead of being stuck in an ecosystem that no longer serves me. Okay, so from there, we've got all of these relationships and we have things that are adapting and changing over time. And we are also part of this process as humans, whether or not we might be even aware of it. So maybe some of us are consciously choosing to participate in this ecosystem with ourselves as an ecosystem. And then there are relationships that can maybe be enriched or changed or adapted over time. Maybe not instantly, maybe sometimes there are some instant shifts that happen. I I like that you also brought up that death, that like maybe this current state is not working or not serving me, then what? Right. So from all of that, and I think um, we talked about this a bit before, but this, I wonder about the concept of thriving then. Mm -hmm. And how does that relate? Is that part of what you're describing or is that something else? No, it is. It's a big part of what I'm describing. I mean, um, there's a, a professor that I really enjoy, Dr. Corey Keyes. He, he works on the, the theory of flourishing, he calls it, which is basically thriving. And he breaks down what are the elements, um, which for him, one big part of it from a human perspective, of course, is positive mental health. And um, he says, we focus so much on mental health and we forget that it's not just like I have no mental health and then I have or have bad mental health. I actually can build up what's called positive mental health. And what is positive mental health made out of? Because when I have positive mental health, I can have moments of bad mental health, but I'll usually spring back. And and in that positive mental health, that's when I'm flourishing because that's when I'm seeing things in a way that I feel are actionable, that I feel um, purpose, that I feel a part of, and all these aspects. And that's exactly what a great ecosystem, like a, a healthy ecosystem does. A healthy ecosystem always has parts that are dying. It always has some parts that are maybe competing, not as many as we tend to think there are, but they are. There's always parts that are um, like in a, in a homeostasis. And there's always parts that are sort of trying to change or evolve or into something next and to and something else. And what, what's the positive part of it is its ability to um, react or to uh, work with a, a disturbance. And disturbance can be of any sort, right? How, how resilient am I? How, how do I move through that existence? And, and a, a, an ecosystem that's not healthy, when you have some kind of disturbance that comes in, will struggle through the, the disturbance. Like organisms will not just like one might die or what's directly related, but other lateral ones will start to, you would start to see other kinds of disturbances like occur from that main disturbance. Instead, when you're in, a, in an ecosystem that's actually flourishing, that thriving per, per, um, concept, you have the ability to then be resilient to a change that happens. And so what's necessary for that? One is from a human perspective, having an ecosystem, having a community, Right, because my ecosystem is made up of multiple diverse um, organisms, and it's that diversity that actually allows each organism to have a different role, and those roles are what allow me to get what I need without having to be the one that does it all myself. 
because that's not sustainable. That's exhausting. So that's one aspect of it. Another one is feeling a sense of, of what is your um, impact and what is your, what is your purpose? What's your meaning in this ecosystem? And just the same as the tree has the purpose of creating shade, of creating um, uh, the, the, at the leaves fall of it's a deciduous tree, then being able to nourish the ground, of passing sugars on to other types of plants. If it's instead, you know, these aspects that each one of these organisms has its purpose, has the, what they're doing for the ecosystem. They're not just sitting there and taking, they're always giving as well as taking. Or even, even parasites to a certain extent where we see some parasites are actually nourishing to a system. They keep a homostasis, they keep a balance that we don't think about. They make sure that, that certain species don't overtake everything because they hold that species, sort of contain that species. And that's an important role to have. So if you think about it from a human terms, sometimes that person that's almost always kind of cutting down the project is important because if not the project would spread in a way that it's not supposed to spread. So mm. you, you can start to see how these relationships are different. And that sense of purpose, that sense of community, that sense of something that I've done has an impact. These are all having a, a higher meaning to what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm creating this piece, my part in the ecosystem contributes to the betterment of the ecosystem, but it also contributes to the growth and the transformation and the evolution of this ecosystem. These are all the elements for thriving. These are the elements of flourishing. And this is why we can learn so much from looking at how ecosystems operate and how systems operate. And not only that, you don't feel that paralyzed helplessness that we talked about kind of at the very beginning where you were saying sometimes I'm looking at everything and I'm going oh my god this is overwhelming I don't know what to do no yes but no but like <laughs> now if I look at it as like systems that are interlocking in different ways I can touch anything in another system but I, I have my way of doing it so my piece that goes here and triggers this that goes there that triggers this that goes there and I reach all the way to the end so now my small actions don't feel wasted they don't feel fruitless or like you know useless or something but also I don't feel like I have to take on you know the mega giant by myself because I know that I can bring these pieces on that are eventually going to touch that part over there and I think this is one of the most exciting pieces of going back to like systems thinkers or ecosystem thinkers because today a lot of people feel hopeless they feel like their actions don't count for anything and the truth is they're isolating themselves more because of that when in reality it's if you connected more that your actions would be able to then reach a bigger audience and would be able to tap into this bigger system and you would be able to change even big things that we don't think about as, as possibly changing, but they do. And we see it all the time. We see it in movies, we see it all around us, and yet we don't believe it. And so when you really connect and you reconnect with the kingdom, you see how they do it so effortlessly, such a part of their nature, you realize it's part of your nature too. And so wait a minute, maybe I can do it effortlessly too. That is so poetic and beautiful and true is what I like immediately feel. Um, it brings up for me this like sense of powerlessness that so many people seem to believe is true mm -hmm. um, from, for whatever reason. And maybe, you know, centuries of conditioning or being told to behave in certain ways. And yet I like this idea that 
these ecosystems are sort of just doing their thing. And once we start to tap into it, and I like the term plantness, like realizing our plantness and our plant nature, and let's just behave like them. Right. And have the ability to have the senses that you described and many people having hands and legs and the ability to execute actions that the plants can't mm -hmm. do maybe without us. Is that right. part of it too? Like, is there some communication across the species that we can like work with them or on their behalf? Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Think about it from a seed perspective. That's the easiest example, right? Plants modify their types of seeds based on the environment that they're in in order for them to take um, full advantage of whatever it is that is most uh, abundant, right? So you have some plants that have um, these cute little like paper-like seeds that float in the air and they carry off by the wind, or you have like the dandelion like that that uses the wind. You don't think that the dandelion purposely was through trial and error figuring out how to create the perfect puff that little kids would come around and go <laughs> all over the place? Of course they did. Of course they did. Took long time. They tested out different pieces, just connected enough that the kid could pick it up, but not connected so much that when they blew, it wouldn't go around. Plants are clever like this. They've been doing it with pollinators all their lives like for 470 million years they've been trying to figure out how to not be um how to be rooted in place how to be sessile without being stuck and part of the way they do it is this and so we see it in birth seeds i mean this is the the birth of velcro comes from the fact that the birth seed was getting stuck to the dog of the man who invented um invented velcro right so these seeds were getting stuck and he was like oh look these seeds have these little hooks at the very end i wonder if i create a surface that looks like my dog's hair and i create this little curve um, on this other surface i wonder if they'll stick together in the same way and voila we have velcro and so this is a way that that plants have been creating their seeds so that dogs and humans because they get stuck on our clothing take their seeds far away, the same way as we do with food, the same way as we do with so many different ways. So we actually collaborate with plants a lot. We just do it mainly or unconsciously, or in some ways we don't collaborate and we try to dominate. But if instead we did go back to that collaboration, think about the way that we would, how we would change agriculture when we collaborate with them and we work with them on their cyclical natures, right? And the way that plants really deal with the world, how amazing it will be when we start to really step into that collaboration from a physical perspective. And then again, on a, on a different, like that plant communication, I've, I've designed, you know, two of my best courses came from a very fruitful connection and collaboration with plants. Like one was collaborating with a spider plant that lives in my room with me. And another one was collaborating instead with a Himalayan cedar. And I would sit there with them and I would ask questions and I would, you know, just allow myself to wander and I would allow their ideas to come into my ideas. And, and together we came up with the pieces of those courses. So this is absolutely possible for us to collaborate because that's how I get their message out because they tell me certain things and we work on them. And I might be the bridge that allows that kind of conversation to happen, but it could happen in everything. I mean, how many people, if you think about it, enlightenment, what we consider most of our enlightened souls, 
usually were around a tree at the time, right? You have Newton with the apple that falls on his head. Well, there's gravity. Oh, you think that was just Newton's idea? You don't <laughs> think that apple was carrying a message from the plant? Like the tree wanted to get that knowledge out there. And so therefore they collaborated on it. So we can work on it on many, many different levels. What a perfect example. I have never thought of it that way. That the apple falling on his head. Totally that forgot. That plant blindness. That's making me smile so big. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. So to me, this is also with the thriving, the concept of thriving and community and that we're a part of something bigger, even as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder too about crisis mm-hmm. and how the plant world might teach us to thrive in crisis, or I, I know some of your work centers around this. So is there something you can share with us about that? Yeah, absolutely. And here goes back to our discussion on, on ecosystems, right? So plants are able to really, plants create really, um, what's the word I'm looking intentional relationships of all sorts. These relationships are what allow them to be, have that positive mental health that we would equivalent to the human, right? So I take a tree, or I'll give an example of, um, of there's a type of cactus in the, in the desert that is best friends, besties with a type of ant. Like they have this relationship. Um, the, the plant, the, the cactus has created this type of nectar that just has just the right amount of sugar, not too sweet, where it's like, mm, but not, you know, but with enough of that sweetness that is, of course, extra nourishment for the ant. So the ant really has, and what does the ant do? The ant cleans up all of the cactus and makes sure to keep things around. The other thing the, the, that ant does is that uh, is the first battleground if there's some kind of disturbance that starts to invade or hurt this cactus. So as soon as the cactus starts to have some kind of damage being done by maybe a bird or maybe by some other kind of insect, out come these ants because these ants are like, wait a minute, hello, this is my friend. You have to back off, right? So these types of symbiosis is a way. So we know that looking at those models that the, the creation of certain types of relationships, again, talking about um, something like mistletoe that is in reality a parasite, but that can continue to keep certain types of trees from reproducing too much and from holding them in their size into something that creates it. So it looks like a crisis, but in that case, it's not. In the case of the other one, it's a relationship that helps balance that. And that reminds us that we don't have to take care of everything on our own. It reminds us that part of the way that we deal with crisis is looking at that. On the other side, we have what we perceive as humans as crisis because they change the status quo. And here is where there's the other aspect of plants that we see in ecosystems, which is a little bit different, which is the idea of, wait a minute, is this, if I was to look at this as an opportunity, what would I do? Like, is my goal with this when, I, when it comes in as a crisis, am I supposed to look at this as something I need to fix, quote unquote, in other words, go back to the state where I was, or is this something that I can actually use get rid of the state that I that I was before and move forward into a new state. And I think this is another super important aspect that plants can show us about a crisis, which is that really not all crises are crises. 
sometimes a crisis is an opportunity for growth or a change that needs to happen or an indication of a place where you have a weakness. So you have to deal with this crisis right now, but then you got to go back and look and see how do you evolve. So almost always the state changes at the very end. Something will change at the very end. But what happens in the meantime is what's important, and that's how we learn from, from the way the plants see a crisis. And so we, if we were to look and observe these models, and again, that's why in, in my course I do use the science, because the science helps us see these models so that we can then take these models and apply them to ourselves and look at, at nature and look at plants as mentors to help us kind of adapt these to the human sensibility. So talking about the crisis, I could remember back to when you mentioned the parasites mm -hmm. and how it, a human might see that as a crisis in an ecosystem and intervene when mm -hmm. maybe, maybe we should let it play out sometimes. Exactly, exactly. And so to apply yeah. that to ourselves as well and kind of stay the course sometimes. And I wonder how we know like when to step in, when to not. And this is exactly the most, this is why um, part of all of this work is about mm, tapping into your true nature, right? Because then mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I believe is that we as humans have lost touch with our, our bodies oftentimes. Many, many people are detached from their bodies um, at an intimate level like that, that sort of level that um, helps me, uh, in a silly example, helps me know the difference between a craving from an emotional perspective for some kind of food versus a craving that my body really needs that mineral or that type of stuff. And so that I can feed myself differently based on those things. Because maybe if I have a craving that's coming from an emotional, I'll deal with the emotional issue um, differently. And therefore, I won't have that craving after a while. But if my body really needs that mineral or that you know, some kind of nourishment that that food gives me, then I will want to bring that food into my diet, even though it might not have been something that I thought I liked or wanted, right? So this is a great example of something very, very similar, right? Where the more we start to bring to consciousness our relationships with others, but also our relationships with ourselves, the more kind of questions we ask ourselves where we stop, because we have the answers. The answers are there. So if we stop and ask ourselves that question and allow time for the response, then all of a sudden now everything changes. And that's what I love about working with plants because their time is different. Um, as a person who's super accelerated, like I tend to go through life kind of speed, I used to go through life speeding. One of the things that I love about working with plants and what really for me was one of the kind of first points was stopping and slowing down. Things take time. Plants move constantly. But the only way you're going to see it is if you slow down. And only am I going to hear the answers from within if I slow down and I stay in the present moment. That's why I said it's not about just um, looking. It's about observing. And observing puts me into that moment and kind of gives me that bubble of space in that moment. And I find that to be very, that's part of that reconnection. I observe, I, I observe with everything and I slowly expand my senses so that I reactivate to a certain extent, depending on your spiritual belief. Other senses that I probably have, um, some believe that there's like 
five others, some believe that there's 65 others. It's all great because it's an expansion of your perceptions. And that includes an expansion, um, an expansion of my inner perceptions, how I perceive things in myself. And that's what changes, like you said, a crisis from something I'm supposed to act on to something I'm supposed to hold on and see how it plays out. That's where I start to learn this way. And of course, I could always turn to some of those around me, whether they be humans or plants, and be like, hey, you watching this from the outside, can you be a mirror for me? What does this look like? And that's the other aspect is we start to then feel safer because we don't run around with that low-level fear in order to ask for help, in order to look at how this is reflecting on to another situation. Because I might think it's okay, and somebody around me might say, hey, you know what? might be up for you here but in the ecosystem that you're currently in this is creating a problem mm -hmm. so you have two options right one is deal with it at least the impact it gives on the ecosystem or you might have to change ecosystems and that's not necessarily bad but that's just like saying okay with the current situation that i have going on here this is not the place that can cause that so what am i what does that really mean to me so all these types of questions we have um, in the quick fix society that we've become, or that we, we don't take that time. And this is one of the things that's very different between prehistoric humanity and current, uh, current humanity. Prehistoric humanity slept a lot. Hmm. They spent hours sleeping. They were more like cats than they were humans of what we <laughs> think of today. And they spent hours a day in contemplation. They savored life they they thought about it they experienced it and we think about that again with all the great things of society almost all of those great inventions and ideas are people that ran 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 but then usually they they just sat and they just sat with it they were it they, it's that being and that's what i'm what we're working on all of this connection this reconnection is moving us to a state of true being and being with my true nature with my true self so that then everything else becomes reflections and mirrors and conversations and actions that need to be taken, but within a greater context. Wow. Yeah. Even hearing you talk about slowing down made my energy slow down and my voice mm -hmm. go lower. And yeah, delicious. And it feels good. It feels great. It does. It feels good. How can people? work with you and learn more about this? Very simply. I have a, my website, which is uh, tigrilagardenia.com. And in that website, we have a few different things. So I really work with people in three main ways, and they are often related. One is, um, as I said, as a teacher. So I have a course called Reconnect with the Plant Kingdom. It's a seven-module course, and it goes through everything we've talked about ecosystems, how to be an individual in an ecosystem, food, healing, life and death, which is big, big one in there. Exercises, science, it has just a little bit of everything. I literally poured everything in there. And you can do it at your own pace, so you can take the time, but it's within a community environment, so there's lots of people to ask questions to and such. Nice. The other is one-on-one. -on -one. When you really want to take all of this and apply it to your life, at a level that's kind of very unique and personalized, then I do one-on-one -on -one work. And it's a combination, um, I call it leadership mentorship, when it's really kind of a combination of nature-inspired um, communications mentoring and, and um, communications both outwardly, business, as well as personal. 
and then also um, leadership coaching. And leadership for me isn't about your position. Leadership is about leading the life you want with confidence, leading the impact you want to make, leading the way you respond to your actions rather than being led by your actions or by your circumstances or by the people around you. So the leadership mentorship is really about using nature-inspired tools, coaching techniques, um, and really entering into who are you and more importantly, who do you want to be? And again, that being is a part is a huge part of it. And so it's it's all around that. And then I have a, a, a group, I have a membership group that is so much fun. It's um it's called the Naturally Conscious Leadership Group. And this is such a fun way for us to go through these processes together so that you have an ecosystem. So there we're creating what we call an ecotone, which is the space between two ecosystems that have lots of diversity, lots of stuff going on, and is a chance to a place to explore. It's like a, it's an ecological playground that you can explore lots of different things in between. So we have lots of fun in there and, and people that are just always kind of asking questions. And again, all of this is at your own pace. And that's to me the big piece of it because I want that reflection. I want that space to like breathe. It, they often laugh because my, um, my mentorship, my one-on-one -on -one mentorship is a year long um, because I want to go through those cycles. I want you to explore how different you are in the spring to how, how you are in the summer and that you should be doing different things in the autumn than you are doing in the winter. Um, we don't remember our body cycles. And so when I work with people, I want, I want you to explore these places. And all I'm here to do is be that mirror that helps you see that and that asks you what I hope will be some, some deep questions to get you to, to think a little bit differently and to, to connect into the plant world and use that, that logic. Thank you. And I'll be sure to put your uh, links in the show notes. Thank you. And it sounds to me like you are in your purpose at this moment and helping other people finding theirs and their connection, which sounds beautiful. Thanks. It's, it's, um, it's exciting, to be honest. To me, it's just, there's nothing I love more than, um, first of all, I learn so much from my students and my clients. Like That's the best part of it. It is an ecosystem, and I'm a part of that ecosystem. But there's nothing more rewarding than seeing that moment when somebody takes a, a step that's complete free will. Like they've removed all those conditionings from, you know, what their culture told them to do, or their parents told them to do, or a past life was they learned or whatever. They make a decision that's theirs. And that is, you feel that harmony, the harmony with everything around them, including the planet. And that's just, for me, that's, that's bliss. That's like a definition of bliss. And that sounds like a great definition of bliss and one that is possible and tangible mm -hmm. too. Um, so part of these podcasts are a plant spirit reading mm -hmm. of sorts. And what I've been doing is asking for a plant that wanted to come, a plant or a tree that wanted to come forward to help us mm -hmm. today or with the work that you're doing. I'm not sure exactly where it fits into the community or the mm -hmm. ecosystem. Um, and probably because we're both plant people, I received lots of plants. <laughs> and I was like, okay, discern, yeah. discern. Um, so one in particular came up and then another one started floating up just this morning. And the 
tree that actually stepped forward to help with this work is redwood. Hmm. And redwood, and as I'm only thinking about it now, um, to me, I wonder if it's because redwood holds this long view of time and has sort of seen it all. It's kind of like this omnipresent ancient being here waiting in a way for people to pay attention to how we can work together right. and it's like to me redwood is this transmitter sending out all of this information from the cosmos and from other places and wanting humans to pick up on that intelligence mm -hmm. and so i wonder if that might relate to the work in some way or if you have any other thoughts or intuitions on hearing about redwood well, another part about redwoods that is amazing that we forget about, I completely agree with everything you just said, completely agree. And also is the fact that they are this very complex, um, in a great way, ecosystem, right? Those, those tops have so much life that is beyond just the redwood, right? They sustain so much that's happening in that forest environment. They sustain so many different parts, but then they are in some cases, again, they have this, the, they're the, the um, recipient of a parasite. They are also, they have relationships where the plants that are living on them are, it's commensalisms and they don't, they don't, it doesn't mean anything to them that these plants are anything, but they're, the other plants are getting a huge benefit from and they're getting nothing from it. And you know, these, all these types of relationships that are existing up there and that across all of this is tree. And so I think that that's another piece that, that's really interesting in that why this type of tree would want to come forward. The other thing that came to mind immediately as you were saying it, which I had never thought about before, is it's also a tree that is extremely ancient, but that is spending a lot of times with humans. You know, redwood forests in a lot because there's not that many of them, and because they are so ancient, is a place different than some other older plants like bristlecone pines or such, where there's not a large em um, emphasis on the relationship with humans. But you know, redwoods are right in the heart of so many different kinds of relationships with humans, and so that's probably another piece of it that could be really interesting to explore and to kind of tap into energetically to see what comes out of it. Is how are they surviving and in some cases thriving and in some cases not where the ecosystem has been able to deal with it with this species that's so different from themselves mm. and who has been harmful in some cases but also is creating other things that are really useful so yeah that, i like that line of question the other plant that came up i don't know actually all i keep seeing is um a white little white flower almost like a snowdrop like that mm -hmm. plant but i don't know if it is that plant so i just thought mm -hmm. i'd mention it in case you know of a little white flower plant that is coming to mind there's there's a few that are coming to mind right now that i'm but i'm trying to remember the names of them of course i'm blanking out right that's what happens um but uh, i'm thinking of bluebells but they're not bluebells because obviously because they're not blue that's exactly white. what i'm thinking of that one the bluebell. No, but bluebell, that's white. That's white. Exactly. And that's what I was thinking yeah. of, too, and describing <laughs> it. So I think I'll look and see which, which kind of bluebell it is. Yeah, so white. further exploration. Yeah, and what I like about those kinds of plants is that 
I work a lot with the wild plants. I love wild plants. Um, I actually have a quiz called To Discover Your Spirit Wild Plant. And um, it's such a fun quiz and it has, and I, and I offer you lots of exercises to, to really reconnect. And, and, um, and when I was designing the quiz and when I was writing, I had to really obviously reconnect to these. And I chose wild plants in particular. Many people will call them leaves. I call them wild plants. Um, so things like dandelion and singing nettle. And it's amazing to see the reactions people often send me their, their drawings and their discoveries and their relationships and um, their, rest, their recipes to be able to connect to these types of plants. And again, you don't even think about it. You're like, oh my God, this is me connecting to a plant by eating the plant. It's like, yes, this is the way to connect. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. I'll definitely include that link too so people can find out which plant they want to work with maybe a bit more. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I'll, I'll make sure I'll send you everything. Okay, cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing today and for taking us through a really rich and diverse conversation. And I appreciate your time and your energy so much. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm so happy that we've been able to share on this. And kind of, even me, you helped me explore things at a deeper level. Wow. Thank you so much, Tigrila. I am also seeing things in a new way and at a deeper level after our conversation. And I hope others are too. Thank you all for listening. And we hope that you are inspired to connect with a plant near you and see what happens next. To find your own path to leadership and your unique purpose within the ecosystem of which you are already a part. Or to find a new ecosystem, if needed. And if you'd like to further your relationship with Redwood, or start a relationship one plant at a time, and aren't sure where to start, you can check out my Plant and Tree Spirit Short Reads, available on Amazon. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at anchor.fm. Thanks for listening. With love and magic.